Action Park Media. All right, everybody, welcome to Dominic's Den. Today's guest is widely referred to as a comedian's comedian. Thousand percent. He's been doing stand-up all over the world for over 25 years. He's one of the stars of Vince Vaughn's Wild West Comedy Show. His latest comedy special, Principal's Office, has just passed 3 million views. And most recently, you could catch him on Netflix hit show, Cobra Kai. He once said, politicians are like cell phone companies. We're dependent on them, and they all suck. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Brett Erst. What's up, That's buddy? How you been, pal? Good, man. That's the joke. You, that was like a tweet from like years ago. Yeah, but it's a great one. And, and, it, and it still holds up. Oh, it'll always hold up. It'll never not hold up. So, Brett. Not uh, the joke, but just the fact that they all suck. I don't know. Yeah. How you doing, cuz? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. You know, weathering the storm like everybody else during these crazy times. And, um, you know, uh, it's definitely not easy. It's been a, a very, very tough year. And, uh, you know, just maintaining, man. Um, how do we know each other? I know we got close because of Jerry. Absolutely. And shout out to Jerry Ferrara. Um, I I think it was us all meeting together for his birthday. But we you had we had met before then. I think I think you had you had said we had comedy store outside the com. I think I think it might have been outside the comedy store with uh, Mike Young. Possibly, possibly. I think I that's Mike. That that, yeah. There was. And by the way, everything six degrees of separation. It's two degrees of Mike Young. Yeah, Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> what a hairy back <laughs> you know uh one time we did a tour when we were doing the young american tour um he was making fun of me because i you know i i groom i'm a gentleman <laughs> so we had him take his shirt off in the radio station it God. was so awful that we had Bad. to shake we shaved him in the radio station yeah on <laughs> he's one of those guys that got like hair on his knuckles you know, it's yeah, uh, everywhere. yeah, Sasquatch. Well, he's 78 years old, so you know, but yeah, it's I, I think he sleeps in a coffin or something, man, because he doesn't age. He's a great guy, though. Um, anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, Mike Young, comedian, really funny guy. Um, and how's this COVID thing? How you been dealing with this COVID thing? It's, I mean, you know, I was going strong without catching it. I just got over it, but, um, it, it's, uh, it was like, cause I was still traveling on the road as places opened up. I, I went on the road, you know, and I mean, you know, there's the two aspects COVID there's dealing with losing your job and all that other stuff. And then there's actually getting it. Uh, when I got it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, man. I didn't even know I really had it until I lost my taste and smell. And then I was like, Oh, Oh shit. You know, I, I guess I have it. And then, um, and it just dawned on me. Cause I was like, why don't, why am I tasting food? Right. And I was like, Oh man. And it's then when the I, went pop, I popped for it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I just quarantined and until I got over it. Well, in the like when let's go back to like March, April, 
May of last year, where some comedians were saying, you, you know, I'm going to get out there if I have to do it in the back of a place and keep my distance. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm going to entertain five people if I have to. When you, how was that transition for you? Well, well, luckily I don't get many people coming to my shows, so it kind of evened out. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, when I first went on the road, I mean, you know, I w I spent almost all of the the first ten months in quarantine in Florida, so you know, COVID wasn't. Co they didn't really. They cared about COVID for like two weeks. I mean, I think they still do. Uh, yeah, right. They, they, you masks. You can't even get them to wear rubbers down there. Let alone put a mask on you. Why? No. Um. So you know, it was one of those things where there were clubs that we see. I, I don't want to say this without. I want to keep this quote, this comment positive. But there were a bunch of comics that hit me up going, why, how are you going to this club to perform when they're not going to pay as much? You know, th there was a lot of comics concerned, which really blew my mind about the rates. Like, you know, because you're going into these comedy clubs, you're not making that much money. But I make my money on the road. I'm a club comic. It's a symbiotic relationship in a sense where like, it's not about what I'm making too. We got to keep these places open by any means necessary. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if, if I'm going in, I've known some of these people 20 years, some of these club owners. And then not only that, I know their staff, like at least 10 years, some of them, you know, because, you know, some of them have been there the whole ride and some of them, but you become friendly with the managers and the kitchen people and, and every time you're in town, you go out and you hang out with them. You watch games with them. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, dude, they need help. So any, any of my comic friends, and there's a few of them, because I, I checked them on it. You know, I'm like, dude, you're, you're missing the point. If they go under, nobody eats. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. if, if you make it about you, then you need to go in there for whatever the hell they're going to give you. Because we weren't really making that much money. It, let me tell you, it was still better than waiting tables and landscaping, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but it, it, so when you first get out there, the crowds were obviously you, you can't earn like you used to, but it, it wasn't about that at that point. It's like, we got to keep getting up. We got to keep the clubs open. Well, it's, it's kind of like what, what's happening with the restaurant business. You know, the only thing that's really keeping them alive is Uber Eats and ordering out and, you know, they're able to pay for the lights, they pay, pay for the staff. You know, and and I, I admire you for doing that. I really do. Well, I, 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 mean, well, I appreciate it, but, you know, you know me. I'm not looking for a pat on the back. It was just the difference is, again, like, because comedy clubs are pretty much restaurants. It's the same thing. And it's then, the same, yeah. It falls and, under the and, same umbrella. And obviously, I know COVID's real because I caught it. But um, what they're making us do a lot of it makes no sense. I mean, like I, I was just in at the stress factory in new Brunswick. So they made them a lot of the places like in New Jersey, New York, you can eat outside in a tent, which means you're still inside. Right. Like I remember being, makes at, no sense being at the stress factory. Vinny had to go out. Uh, I mean, a shit ton of money to put these tents 
outside, which now we're inside. And I'm like, it was kind of like, remember the nightclub in um, Night at the Roxbury when they're like, look, our club is outside. So you're waiting inside to go outside. Yeah. <laughs> it, it made no freaking sense. It doesn't. It's like, okay, COVID can't affect you after 10 o'clock, right? But before then, it was like this weird Irish thing that the Irish, uh, like, oh, the COVID will get you if you're not home by 10, you know? <laughs> and you best be within six feet and wearing a mask made out of a napkin. You know, it just, none of it made sense. None of it. It's probably to calm down the public a little bit, probably, that they put these things in there. I, but they don't, It does, none of it makes any sense. None it, of it. Calm- it's it's ruining people's lives it is you know these people are going people are losing their jobs i mean it's just it was but again i think you know we're, uh, americans are resilient P- human beings are resilient i mean this is nothing compared to the crap we went through in history and we'll bounce back you know i i mean i think a lot of good is coming out of this um where are you with the vaccine would you take the vaccine hell no not 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 maybe in five years, uh, I want to find out what the hell, what the long-term effects are. I don't need, I don't think I need to take it now because I have the antibodies, you know? Are you thinking about the, vac- the vaccine or no? I, I think um, just because of what I have to deal with, I, I think I would have no choice but to take the vaccine. I, you know, I don't think there, I, I mean, listen. If, I'm if scared I, to. I'm scared because I don't do well with the flu vaccine. I've really? never done well with the flu vaccine, ever. Never taken the flu shot, ever. I, I've taken it maybe three times, and all three times I, I, I was sick, sick as a dog. And uh, do, you, do you think it's also an Italian thing where, like, you know how we're always nervous about? Like, <laughs> 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 I'm nervous. Like, I get ski, ski, ski bots with the uh, ski bots. I don't want to touch anything, and yeah, now. Yeah. Oh, all of a sudden they're gonna put something in me. Like, remember Gerard when I was when I when I was doing the twenty three and me, because I'm already in the system, and and Gerard's like, I would never do that. They, now they got your DNA and they can plan it. <laughs> now we go into these crazy things. Hey, there's something to that, you know. Um, when did you know you wanted to be a comedian? Man, I, how I far was, back? I would say. If you ask my friends, I would say middle school, sixth grade, seventh grade. I was always in trouble, always. I meant like nonstop to the point to where that, you know, they brought my my mom in and they're like, something has to be done or we're going to kick this kid out of school. And I, I, but it was, I don't know if it was more of, I just making people laugh. I don't know why I enjoyed it so much goofing around. I, I moved around a lot. I went to 15 different schools. I think that had something to do with it. Where like, you know, you earn your friends as a young boy, you're either going to do it through sports or fighting. Right. Right. And then you make friends by making people laugh. And a lot of these schools were rough schools. So, you know, it, I always found it was easier to make friends without having to fight them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know? uh, when did you yeah. know you, it was going to be a career? I didn't know you could make a career out of it until I saw Delirious. I saw Eddie Murphy's Delirious as a oh, kid. Oh, yes. Which I should not have been watching. And None then, of us. 
But I just remember watching it and being in awe. And then like the teacher would say, Hey, give a, give a presentation to the class, you know? And if I had to get, every chance I got to give a book report, I would make it, I would try and make it funny. And right. it just always, that just, that, that always stuck with me. But it, I would say, I didn't, I would say middle school. And then after uh, I got done playing football, I'm like, I, I think this is what I want to go. Cause if football wasn't panning out for me, I'm a maniac. I would have went like, if football was blowing up for me in college, then I would have went nonstop until, you know, I would have went to five camps in a row and camped out and slept out front, you know, do whatever I could. Yeah. Once it wasn't, once I knew it wasn't going to happen like that, I was like, then I'm going to take that energy and just go all in and stand up. And I never stopped this 24 years. I've, I've the longest I went without going on stage was during COVID. And before that it was 10 days for my, for my honeymoon. What is it about making people laugh? What does it do for you? Um, in the beginning, it, it, it's more about the audience. And as you get maybe three years into standup, it becomes more about how you get them to laugh. And then as you evolve in it, I, I can't explain it. It's you care about the audience, but you don't care about the audience anymore. Be, but the, you, you still want that reaction. It's a very satisfying thing when you could take something that's not funny in real life and make people laugh at it if that makes sense. So it, it, it went through stages. It always starts where you're excited to make people laugh. And then from there, it becomes more, you know, the art of how it is. And then it becomes more um, like therapy. And then it becomes more like yeah. you get angry at something you see in the news. And then you're like, this is, this is making me so angry. I want people to laugh at this. And then it, then it becomes a game that, you know, you play with yourself where like, you know, you, you challenge yourself always stand up is always a work in progress. Always. Even when it's on, even when you document it and it's done and you've worked every angle, somehow something new comes out of something and you're like, God, man, it's never really a finished product. How much, how much of your comedy and now depending on which show, because you've done you've done a lot of shows, and how much of that comedy, when you're writing it down or whatever you're doing, how much of that is rooted in something negative? All of it. All of it. I would say all of it, yeah. Every everything. And you bring like, light and you bring light to it. Yeah, it's weird. It's like it affects you, you know. Obviously, I, I'll give you a good example of how a comic thinks. And I, I ended up making it work somehow, but I don't know if I wanted to, you, you know, I, again, man, it's so hard. You don't know if you could come up with something, if it's where it's coming from, but it, it's either from pain or anger or something that, that hurts you that, because it is, it's a coping mechanism. So I remember telling my mom, I was trying to really like, there was a three year period where I kind of reinvented what I was doing. And I, I remember telling my mom one time I was trying, I was doing jokes about my father's suicide. And I remember getting frustrated going to my mom, I'm going, Ma, I can't, I can't make this funny. And she's like, 
Cause it's not, you know, like why, why do you think it's funny? And then I made it funny, but I, I made it funny in a negative way, but I ended up, so then it became, is this really about, is it really about, you know, or is it just because I can't make, I, I'm taking it as a challenge or is it really because I want to make light of it? Or is it really because it, what's the word cathartic? Is that the word? Yeah. Or, or is it, is it, um, and by no means am I a fucking psychiatrist. Did you have to accept it before you could make it funny? Yeah. It, or like, is there an, a, a psychological thing where I'm like, okay, if I'm talking about that's this, interesting, consciously helping me, um, you don't know what it is, but you just, you take the challenge and, and I'm, I'm stubborn as, as hell, man. You know, so it, I'm going to make it work if, if I can, I'll slip it in. I mean, and then there was a point where it just wasn't working. And then one day on stage, it, it got a laugh. Yeah. And then you're like, okay. And then, then, then you're like, damn, I feel bad. I just, made <laughs> you work so hard to make it funny. And then people are laughing at it. Then you feel bad. You're like, damn, I just made light of that. I, I dude, I, I can't even tell you how many jokes where they come from and how they evolve. And, and the crazy thing is, is I write nothing down. I just work it out through repetition. Repetition. Yeah. yeah and then through it and you, you figure it out. You play with tone. Like I'm, I'm doing jokes about my divorce now. So I, I play it bitter. I play it happy. You know, it, 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 it is. It's always a work in progress, man. Do you, um, you, you're from a certain generation of comics, right? Each generation, each generation is different. Is there something that you see in the new generation of comics that's a lot different than how when you came yeah. into the game? Um, I was very fortunate when I got it. I got in at the end of the really the second big comedy boom, which that '80s boom, and there was like some skinny tie guys left over. Is that after Dice? Yeah, Are we talking exactly. after Dice. I started in 95, 96. Okay. Yeah. There was, there was the end of that, you know, comedy club. There was like five comedy clubs in every city. I mean, those guys were making five grand a weekend in the eighties. And a lot of them had like 15 minutes. You know what I mean? Like there was mm -hmm. a huge boom. And, uh, the, the type of comedians that, Comics are fear are fearful again. I see a lot of new comics are petrified of being getting in trouble. Right? It's almost like when Lenny Bruce got thrown in jail for obscenity in the 50s that everybody were like you got to keep it clean. You got to keep it clean. Now it's like you got to keep it safe. You don't want to piss anybody off where my era, I was very fortunate enough that the guys that were above me were like Patrice and Burr and Geraldo and Rogan. And, and, you know, those were like the, the older brothers, you know, the older guys right. when, before I got in. We just had Bill on. And, and I don't know if he said, he actually has one of the greatest quotes that about comedy, which it was like, I don't know. I forgot if it was in conversation or if it was on the podcast or something, but Basically what he said, when we were starting out, when we were in our twenties, 
it was the 20 year old comic on stage that made the 50 somethings in the audience go, I can't believe that kid just said that. And now it's the 50 year olds on stage making the 20 somethings going, I can't believe. You uh, just yeah. said that. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. And, and it, when we, when we policed ourselves, the, the artists police themselves in originality as comics, were you being hacky? Like, and, and I, I only had, a, I only met Patrice a couple of times. I wasn't really, I don't, I, in passing, you know what I mean? He was, uh, he was amazing. He, uh, one of the, and I, I'm glad this doc came out about him. He was a fearless, fearless, fearless comedian, but he would, and Rogan was great like this too. Like if you got off stage, if you knew Rogan was watching you, you were like, I better not hack it up. You know, like when we were at the comedy store, you were always wanted to be original. Mm-hmm. That's how we policed ourselves. And then the other one is, and are your jokes, are you stealing jokes? Right. Those were like the two things that comics cared about. Never in my career did I think another comic would come up and be like, you know, that that bit was a little offensive. And yeah, what the f- you but, know what I'm saying? But Brett, do you, do you feel that there's also a division within comics? Like they're policing them, like you have other comics policing themselves. I, I, I mean, ever since like a lot of this stuff came out and stuff like, uh, you know, uh, you got to really be careful. It just, there's a lot of sensitivity and I feel that other comics should be backing up other comics and you don't see that. I mean, if you go on Twitter, you don't see that. In the working comic world, we're, yes, we do. It's the other problem with comedy is a lot of people call themselves comics. So you have people that have never left New York or LA that do coffee shops and mics and they got their notebooks and they do like 10 minutes, but they're more in the, the culture in the standup world culture than they are in the actual art form. And if that makes sense. So like they're the ones that are always into the scene and commenting and we, you know, they're like the crows that just hang out and, and you know, there's no method to what they're doing. They just hang out at the mics, they get, they drink, they all become, it becomes like a social scene for them more than it is. It's about the art form taking risks, you know? Right. Cause I just recently in another interview, I was talking cause that it was brought up about the cancel culture thing. I didn't take my mantle from Robert Downey Jr. Okay. I didn't, I, I'm taking the mantle from Pryor and from Patrice and from Burr. And it's my job to, to be fearless on stage because that's what free thinking is. That's where comedy comes from. That's why I stick to my truths, right? Yeah. I'm not a guy that I don't really comment on other things. I'll make a, a, a joke here or there. But if you speak to your own truth, nobody can question that. No, no one can. And so you're gonna, if my if my life is offensive to you, what am I supposed to do? Not talk about it? Yeah. So you can it's... you can you can die slow. You know. <laughs> well, we all have many lanes in this business, right? Like many, I'm option, many. I'm an option screenwriter. I act, and I do stand up. You know, and I've been behind the scenes on two projects. But you gotta you gotta pick your lane. What is your lane? Like if, if you're going to make me choose one, it's stand-up comedy. And that's where my lane is where, you know, you've dedicated your life to acting. Yeah. I mean, your life, 
I, by the way, I have never not watched a show that you're not in. Paul <laughs> Verzi, you have more you have more roles on in movies than Paul Verzi does podcasts. <laughs> I was just on the phone with him yesterday. Verzi does uh, like ten podcasts. Yeah. Uh, the Wild West Comedy Show, 30 shows in 30 nights, 30 different cities. What was that like? That was great, man. I mean, because, you know, I was like a I fraternity, was, I bet. Well, Sebastian's one, you know, is still one of my best friends. And Ahmed's one of my dear friends. And Cap, we were all friends at the comedy store. And when we went on the road together, it was like spring break for 30 year olds, you know? And then we were close with Vince, too. I mean, I, I met Vince right after he did old school but it didn't come out yet right and then you know he because we used to do that dublin's on tuesday so we all got to travel together and it, and it was sponsored by budweiser and ea sports oh god so we pretty much drank and played madden madden and uh fight night and and and, and 2k nba That's all on you the need. bus and what was sebastian doing uh giving himself pedicures yeah he was uh <laughs> You know, it's funny, man, because of the way I'm I grew doing up. my nails. <laughs> Dude, well, there's a scene. He got his underwear ironed. He gets his underwear pressed. I remember he had this, he had this tank top on that was like. Not the 50 thought, cent tank tops. I thought it, it snapped at the crotch. Huh? Oh, God. One of those? A onesie. Like one a of those. onesie. <laughs> I enjoyed. I enjoyed being on the bus, but like I, because Captain were great and, on there, and Sebastian, they all had sisters, right? I shared a room with two brothers. You're like me. Right? We had this conversation. Yeah, yeah I, I grew up in a little apartment, so I could sleep anywhere. You know, they they had a they were getting more stir crazy because they were used to their own space. Yeah, anybody sleeping in that corner? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I could sleep on the table. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm right with you, man. I'm the, it's the same with me. Principal's office. What's going on with that? Just past three million views, man. And that was. Huge. Did you come to that taping? No, no. you didn't come. To that. No, that was in Burbank. Um, no, I've been. I've oh, been here because Jerry came. Uh, yeah. When I taped that. It was a one take thing. I only had enough money for one. I self-produced it. And, um, you know, it was right when Netflix was licensing. And as I was editing it, they stopped licensing and wanted to um, own them. And then uh, the other thing that sucked is that, like, I, I got an offer I, we, when we shopped it around, but it was like a Mickey Mouse offer. They didn't even... what. Would, they wouldn't even allow me to have kept the rights to it. They were like, right. we'll just, we'll just buy it. And I'm like, no, I'd rather you license it. And so I basically put it out for free. And then um, I built out a site for it. And now it just passed 3 million views. 3 million views, man. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. Now I want to know, did you uh, do any research as a car salesman for Cobra Kai? <laughs> Uh, you know what I needed to research I... to get the role is is being from New Jersey. That was uh, the tough one. Oh, the only thing you got to do is not know how to drive. <laughs> yeah, right. But I sold cars. 
Did you really? Uh, hor- uh, horrible. It's one of the many jobs I had in my in my life that I, I, I used to just give cards. I was like, what can I sell this for just so I can make it on the board and make the least amount? Because every time you would have somebody sit down and try to buy a car, you would have to take the paper, bring it to the front. They would tell you, oh, you know, tell tell them this. This is what's in it. This this is what. I was I was the worst. I basically gave the cars away at cost because I felt bad. Uh, you know, people were getting hit with mortgages on their fire. I'm like, there's no way this this Chrysler Neon should cost this much. You know, I I, I couldn't do it. I, I I couldn't do that. So I had to, uh, yeah. I had to uh, taking the fake financing thing where you go to the guy and you're like, this is, and then the guy's like, no. And well, that's a whole different department. So now when you sold the car at this particular dealership, when you sold the car, it went from you and it went to the finance guy. And that's where the finance guy, oh, you know, you need, you need this window protection. You need these mats. You need this security system. And that's where these people were getting banged out with mortgages. And it's such a scummy thing to do. It's a horrible business. I and, and I, I hate it. it like this. Nowhere else. Like if I go out to eat and I'm like, how much is your hamburger? Well, what do you, what do you want to spend on it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> well, what, what price is good for you? Are we talking what, about Angus? You can work from there. How much is the fucking car? Yeah. How much is the car? What's the price? And we'll go from there. I remember, yeah. I, went to, I, remember I went to lease my uh, first girlfriend's Maxima, and the guy, my my, she went in first and w- didn't understand what the residual value meant, right? right? That you know, you're leasing it on what the car is going to be worth when you hand it in. This guy tried to lease me on the full price of the vehicle. I let him go. Then he went over to the finance guy with like, you know, to see if he would accept the offer. And they did the whole dog and pony show where he was like, I don't know if I can do it. He said, look, we're going to have to go up a little bit. I'm like, are you effing serious? Right. My best friend did um, at the, uh, those major cars, like the expensive ones of Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah. Exotic cars. Yeah. He told me, he said, walk out of a dealership. They won't let you leave. If you try and walk out, they won't let you leave. And I just, after it was all done, I said, well, why you're, you're not leasing me on the residual value of the vehicle. You're doing it on the full amount. Like I let him go through the whole fucking thing. Yeah. I said, you're either going to give me this or we're not going to take the car. Right. Guy comes over. I'm sorry. You know, I'm trying to eat here. I'm, I'm like, trying. No, so I'm now, trying. now he's trying to justify robbing me. Go get a burger. Like, we well, uh, love to have steak and lobster every night, you scumbag. Yeah. yeah. And they always push you to the used car lot because that's where the real money is. That's where the real markup is. The, mo- the money is not in the new cars, the money is in the used cars because they'll, they'll pick up a car. Let's say they pick up a car for ten thousand. They'll sell it for sixteen. They'll say, you know what? We'll take three thousand off of this. Meanwhile, they still made three thousand on the car. It's a slimy business. Yeah, slimy, slimy business. So, uh, how's your experience been on the show? Oh, it's great, man. Dude, it's. I mean, I've been. I haven't been on as many sets as you, but I've been on sets where you know 
there's a toxic component. I don't know if you've ever been in those situations sure. where like either the EP has an ego, the star has an ego. There's always something. There's certain eggshells uh, laying around somewhere. Yeah, I get it. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, and people will be like, don't, don't do this. And, you know, um, this set there from top to bottom is just, it's it's just an amazing a pleasurable experience that means more to me than because the my mindset i'm going to work right so whatever yeah. the rules are at the office i've agreed to it they're paying me my job is to come in be prepared you know show up early you know you take that lunch pail mentality with you i know i, I always do, do. I, I do yeah everything i do you know um it, when you show up there, it's just, it's just so easy, man. Everybody's so much fun. I love sitting with Ralph, like having lunch with him. I, we've, we've talked a couple of times and just the amount of directors he's worked with, who he's worked with from Coppola to Avildsen. But, um, you know, but to, to hear about the acting and, and, you know, just how passionate he is yeah, and how, you know, it's just, it was, it's pretty cool, man. And, and also you're sitting there going, holy shit. I grew up watching this guy, you know? Yeah. He's very much a journeyman, you know? Um, he's been doing it for a really, really long time. And then Billy Zap, William Zapka, I mean, dude, that that guy, when you look at his career, and God, man, the dude can, he nails comedy, man. Yeah. He nails it. They both do. I remember watching the show, and then you popped on. I was like, oh, my God. I didn't even know Brett was on this. You know, and then I watched a few episodes and then they come back and then I know it's coming back for another season. And I see that you're still part of the show. So I, I, I hope you um, really enjoy the ride, you know. I mean, you know what? I've, I've been on this roller coaster a couple of times and this is the furthest it's gone <laughs> without me getting thrown off, <laughs> thrown off the ride. Well, you're doing but, great, man. I can't even... You're doing great. I can't even say, I, I always tell people, man, you know, again, I'm going on 24 years in April. Wow. It'll be um, my 24th anniversary of stand-up. But amazing. When, when you think of all the failed successes you have in this business, like how many, how many things you get that are almost impossible to get. I mean, the odds just, get smaller and smaller and smaller. And when I got off the plane to audition for this thing, um, I was in Jersey all week. So it just worked out. I thought it was an internet show. And then when you get there, I found that was for the YouTube streaming service. Cause remember we originally shot this for YouTube. Yeah. And all three, the first three seasons were all for YouTube. And then now season four we're shooting is for Netflix. Netflix yeah. Right. I, you, I had no idea what it was. And then as I, I was going through the audition process and you're, you're learning more and more and you're like, wait a minute, this is pretty cool. Then you read the scripts. And that's the other thing, the people that, that worked on it and the people we've had some pretty loyal fans, but there wasn't, it, it was not obviously as many as there are now, Right. but we always knew it was a good show. It was a great show. Everybody involved was like a Will Smith executive produces it. It's his company. And then you have the guys that did Hot Tub Time Machine and Harold and right. Kumar, comedy writers, you know? And then when, when Netflix picked it up, it just, 
it just took off, man. I mean, Karate Kid, you know, it's nostalgic, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know anybody of my generation who didn't watch it. But what's cool is now the young kids, uh, this is what I think is pretty cool about the show. And I, I don't want to sound, uh, is I've, anybody that ever knew of me was either just a fan of stand up and was usually a friggin' degenerate like Kieran, yeah. right? <laughs> but I was going to say now I've got like kids. You're still a degenerate. Yeah, he's still a degenerate. <laughs> but the show has such a young fan base that like, like I remember I was at the West Palm Beach Improv and there was like 10 middle schoolers with their parents and they all had Cobra Kai shirts on. And then the mom came up and she's like, you know, and that's the other thing. Nobody is associating me with stand up yet. They're like, oh, you're the guy you're, you're from the show, but they don't know I'm a comic. So this right. woman's like, why are you here? And I'm like, I'm performing next door. And she's like, oh, I didn't know. And she goes, you mind coming over to the table? So when the kids were all sitting there, I come over and I'm like, Miyagi-Do. And they, the kid, you feel like a, like a professional wrestler would feel. Right. You know what I mean? When all the kids are like, oh my God. It's, you know, and, and that, that's, that's something I've never had in my career. Where like, you know, kids, kids know who you are. Yeah. You kind of feel like John Cena. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And yes, Kieran is a big degenerate. I don't know how you, I don't know how you guys met, which I think is because we're going to be work. We're going to be working together. This is the that this would be the first time me and Brad have worked together on on Kieran's project. Did, did he tell you how we met? Or no? It was on one uh, of my failed pilots. That should have so, taken off. I, it would now. Wait, is so, this the pilot you told me about? No, this was a recently. Got, uh, this was how long ago, Kieran? Shit. 10 years, maybe? Nine Ten years. Wow. Okay. So you were in, you were in Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay. That's where we filmed. So we did a, uh, <laughs> so we did a show for TBS. It was a reality show, but it was based, it was me, Burt Kreischer and Theo Vaughn. Okay. And we did this show where we recreated our a fraternity. So it was actually based around Burt Kreischer. Cause you know, his story, he was, van he was, the movie Van Wilder was based off of Burt Kreischer's real life in college. Okay. He was there for like eight years at Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> so TBS came up with this and then we had to pick guys in our fraternity. So all three of us had to choose from like 20 guys. And we, and it, when I tell you, it was insane. It was a blast. I, it was the most fun I've had. It, it, I can't even explain it. It never got picked up. But Kieran was one of the guys and, and he was my first choice because his special talent is he can do the whole boat scene from The Godfather, okay? <laughs> so, so we had to pick, we had to pick, and Dom, when I tell the you- boat The boat scene, the boat scene when you, the, yeah, the little kid? Not, I mean, when Michael's talking to Fredo, Kieran, please oh, do it. Oh, do so, it. Do it. Can we hear it? Come on. No, wait. So when we would, I would be on morning radio shows and I was in um, the Paul and Young Ron show and we were talking about it. And I was, I swear on everything. I go, this guy can, it's the greatest scene you've ever seen and how he does it. I call him. He's on the West Coast. It's like 430 in the morning. He picks up. He's like, hello, with that weird accent he's got. Yeah. And I go, listen, you're on morning radio. It's a syndicated show. You got to do the boat, the boathouse scene. And without blinking, he's like, 
Michael, and he just goes right into it. Karen, go ahead. You got to do it, please. I haven't got a lot to say, Mike. I didn't know all that much. I was kept pretty much in the dark. Is there anything you can tell me now? Oh, they got Pantangeli. That's all I can tell you. I didn't know it was going to be a hit, Mike. I swear to God, I didn't know it was going to be a hit. Johnny Olaf bumped into me in Beverly Hills. He said he wanted to talk. He said that you and Roth were in on a big deal together. And there'd be something in it for me if I could help. He said that you was being tough on the negotiations. And if I could help close the deal fast, there'd be something in it for me. It'd be good for the family. And you believe that story? He said there'd be something in it for me on my own. <laughs> Taking care of you, Taking care of me? You're my kid brother and you take care of me? You ever think about that, huh? You ever what? Think about that? Send Fredo to do this, send Fredo to do that. Have Fredo take care of some Mickey Mouse nightclub somewhere. Have Fredo drive someone to the airport. I'm your older brother, Mike, and I was stepped over. The way Pop wanted it. Hey, the way I wanted it! I can handle things. I'm smart. Not like people say. Like dumb. I'm smart. I want respect. Why it was making me do that. I love uh, it. I think it's phenomenal. Genius. And, and, and that's that's why you were a first round draft pick. <laughs> that's sweating. awesome. I would call. I needed to get Brett on this show in order for you to do that. Knowing the big Godfather fan I am. He, he, you know, and it's funny because, like, I told him, I said, you got to do it for Dom. Because I thought that would be like, I thought that's how you met. I thought this guy would just walk up to you and start doing quotes and scenes. And you're like, I love this guy. Isn't it great? What's, what's the one? What was the one? I, I remember doing one with you. Um, I think we we were at that. What was that bar on, on Sunset there with Jerry? We would go sometimes. The... Um, I don't know, and I the order a drink, and I go, Brett, you want a drink? We get a drink, and I go pre-war. You know that moment? No one, you know the moment? Karen? What you talking about? Just before um, Luca Brazzi, <laughs> the last scene we see Luca Brazzi, he goes to that place, and yeah. the guy goes, you want a drink? He goes, and he pours the drink. He goes, pre-war. Pre-war. <laughs> I also love... Uh, the little things. It's the little things. I, love when, I don't understand, Michael. I, I love when he's like... Yeah, I sure, said, I knew your father. I say we hit the Rosado Brothers while we got the muscle. <laughs> your father did things when I'm in raw. And the junk. The my, junk. My. <laughs> Cheech, I bought. So good. Old man had a little too much wine. Ah, uh, this used to be my father's office. He's very happy. Uh, what are you watching nowadays, Brett? Um, what are you watching? I, just, I love the Mandalorian. Um, yeah. I, I love how I love how Favreau has saved that whole franchise, man. I mean, dude, after the last three movies, it was it was like, what the F happened? I mean, The Rise of Skywalker in, in itself, it was so lazy. Like, for instance, the first six 
movies of Star Wars are about Darth Vader fulfilling the prophecy and how it's fulfilled. It, did, it wasn't fulfilled the way we thought it would be. And then what are you in the rise about? of... What do you mean? Star Wars? Star Wars. Jeez. Never, never seen it. Are you serious? No, I'm not. Nope. That's like saying I never have ever had a glass of water ever. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's that's like a whole jump. Like I'm not really into that. I don't know. Growing up, it just wasn't something that I was. Oh, I thought I thought you would get it. Uh, the carrot. It's like, are you into the Marvel movies at all? Kind, yeah, actually, I am. Yeah. So, um, so then you would you would love. Star I don't. Wars. I, I I don't. Maybe. You know what? Maybe I maybe I have to give it a chance and and hey, go back and watch I it. Think, I don't think as a grown man you would. It. I think if you grew up. Like you, when you start liking something for other reasons, and then you really see the brilliance in it because you're already attached right. to it. You know what I mean? I don't I feel, know. If, yeah, I don't I, know if, it, if you'll really see enjoy it like like for, that. for I think what it is. Yeah. Been, yeah, I don't think you would. Yeah, it, I, I just at I, this it, point, it's, yeah, it's sad. That's sad. I love. You know what I love that <laughs> as a little. I love horror movies. Yeah, but there's still different. There's there was a. There's That's a what magic, I'm saying. Yeah. Did you like Harry Potter? Did you watch Harry Potter? I actually did. I enjoyed it. Yeah. There, there's so much great f- character development in fantasy. There is. And, and uh, I have a total different appreciation for it now. You know, but when I yeah. when I growing up, I wasn't watching Star Wars or Star Trek or anything like that. It just like those kind of shows just didn't. I don't know for some reason they just didn't interest me. I think like Star Trek, I, I can't I can't get into Spock, but uh, Spock, help me, Spock. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Uh, but that's because, like I said, I don't think I, I got into it as a kid. But Star Wars, you know, I saw it as a little kid and I grew up with it. And it just it gives you those feelings like, you know, it, it, I, I love it. But anyways, the Mandalorian is, is a great series, man. Um, he, he did it after the old Westerns, right? The way he played, he played it out. We're like, it's just really good, man. I think it's one of the best shows I've seen in a long time. Okay. So I'm watching that. And then, um, Nate blonde is trying to get me to watch uh, little shots or the little things, the little things. No, no, no. Um, small shots. It's on Amazon. Small Prime. shots. Never heard. Small no, shots. I heard it's phenomenal. And there's a couple guys I know that are in it, and and Nate's like you gotta watch it. But I heard yeah. it's phenomenal. So that's I'll the have next. To check that out. I, I heard it's very uh, New York Guido centric. So and I, and I heard it, and it's and it's a comedy. So right up our alley. Right up your alley. Yeah. Um, are there any comedians out there right now, uh, up and coming that? Uh, that you're like, hey, you know, you gotta watch out for this kid or this um, this girl. No, I mean, I, because of the internet, everybody's there. I think everybody's where they're at. I mean, I'm not in the open mic scenes in New York or LA anymore, so I don't see, you know, what's what's breeding. And when I go on the road, I do hit mics, but you know, I'm, I I always go with the locals or whatever to go hang with those comics. I love local scenes, man. I know you do. I know but, you do. 
LA and uh, I, I don't know, man. I mean, the comedy store, I mean, a lot of these guys that I, that I was seeing working out at the store and, and, and in New York are being recognized already. So, right. you know, there's, there's nobody in the farm teams right now that I know about. If there was one comedian who inspired you, Who's that comedian? As, as a kid, it, I mean, it's a toss up between, as a young kid, it was Eddie Murphy. As a teenager, it was Dice. And I would say as a comic, Patrice and Burr are probably two of, I, I think the, the best. I mean, you know, that you, you get a little from everything. Right. Dice, Dice gave me inspiration in other ways, when I got older, I, I saw his his brilliance and his commitment, man. I mean, if, if I could define Dice in one word, it's commitment. This guy does not bail. And he no. commits. And I mean, commits to the point to where you're like, is this guy even joking? Yeah. And that's the brilliance in it. You know what I mean? It's yeah, he's all in. He's all in. All in. He's all in. He he gave me. I, I I don't know if we got time to hear this story, but sure we do. When when I when I first got to the comedy store, I I got there at ninety nine, but I got passed in two thousand. So that's when I got my that's when I got my button. You got made. <laughs> I got made. I they got opened made. the books on him. <laughs> they, what they do is they 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 print. You didn't get your fingerprint, did you? Like, yeah. <laughs> you got to burn the. You got to burn a picture of Richard Pryor in your hand. I would never betray the comedy store. I swear on your swear on your family. <laughs> so when I first got there, I was getting like one night a week and it would be at like 12:15 on a Tuesday, right? And uh so I finally, after about a year and a half, I started working the main room, you know, which I was about almost six years in the, five years in the comedy, almost six. So Mitzi started giving me main room spots. So it's like 1030, the, the place is packed and Dice comes up to me and he's like, are you going to do Tony tonight? Right. Which was that I did this bit on roller skating, like the old guy at the roller. Yeah, yeah. And Dice fucking loved it. He always wanted me to do it. I said, yeah, I'm going to close on it tonight. I'll, I'll close on it. He goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up there. You got to do this. <laughs> he goes, and you got to do like 12 minutes on Tony. Just do like a monologue where like, tell me who he is, where he's from, what, what, what motivates him, you know? And I'm thinking, no, I don't want to do this because I want to kill. You know what I mean? He goes, you got to do it. So I, I'm still in awe of him. You know what I mean? And I, I don't want to disappoint him. So when my set comes, I go up and, and he wants me to do a 13 minute, 12 to 13 minute monologue. And he's like, you got to keep going until you get the light and then get into the bit. And I stand up there and he had them dim the lights on me. The place is packed. I've never done this in my life. And they put the light on me, the spotlight. And I'm like, you know, when I was a kid, there was a guy named Tony. And I just start talking about him. Nobody's laughing. All you hear in the back is, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
fucking then, believable. That is funny. I can't fuck. <laughs> only one laugh. And then I'm like saying, well, if I'm getting him to laugh. So everybody's staring at me. But then there was like moments I was getting chuckles. Because what happens is, and this was one of the best lessons I ever learned. And I don't know if Dice was just doing this to amuse him self if you really wanted me to do this but what i learned that night is first of all i trust it's almost like when bruce lee said that you know you, you never plan when you're in a fight you have to adapt just let your instincts take over right. you know so i'm i was forced to try and be funny in something that i and and i was making there was parts that was getting chuckles but I said to myself, I've got to wait to the light. I got to do this until the light comes because now there's no going back. And then when the light hit and I got into the bit, it fucked, it killed. And I remember thinking, holy shit, later on, I realized that's, that's part of his creative process. The commitment. I just committed. Right. I had to commit. And, and I, I didn't realize I learned that until like later on where I'm like, wow, that was one of the coolest things. That was one of the coolest gifts any comic could have ever given me at the, but I didn't know it at the time. You yeah. Know what I mean, it's a valuable, valuable lesson. Yeah. So now you're in Dom's hot seat. So we have a few questions for you, but I think he might've answered the first one. What's your biggest pet peeve? Why? My, my biggest pet peeve? Yeah. Disrespect. What was that? I know, I know it's not disrespect. Disrespect. People that like talk down to people, talk, talk uh, uh, over people. I hate smug people. I hate people that snap at the waiter. I, I hate the guy that doesn't hold the door for you. I'll kill your whole family. You know? <laughs> I, I just can't stand it. I just can't stand people that have no respect for other people's opinions. Um, that 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 will drive me nuts. I mean, I could go from zero There's borderline to ignorance. It, it just drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah. It just, yeah. Like I, I, I'll lose it if I see somebody berating somebody. I, I feel like I have to get involved. I just it, it drives me nuts. Um, you're you're on a karaoke stage, and please, I I hope he he answers this with, with this genre song. What song are you singing? Please, give me one. Well, I'm a big fan of the easy listening stuff, like the Carpenters, Neil Diamond, Barry Manilow. I like any of those 70s, uh, like all that 70s divorce music. We only just begun. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Carpenters. I love the Carpenters. I would say uh, Bobby Womack, though, I love. I love Bobby what Womack. What you won't do for love, you tried everything. So I, I love this one hit. Yeah. In my world, only you. I love that song. Dun, 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 dun. Why? What, what were you hoping? One way, love it. If you want something, write that. Write that song down. <laughs> write that song down. That's we're gonna need that. We're gonna need that. Either that one or X-ray vision. Um, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice. How old are you? And what's that piece of advice? You know, I, I don't know, man. There's like, I, I would, I want to go back. Like, I would say the the best time of my life, the last easy year I ever had where everybody I knew was together was six. 
Um, and then after that, everything goes fucking downhill. I will say, uh, don't worry so much. I think, I think that would, that would be, you know, um, but I don't know, man. I don't know what I would say. I, I would, I mean, if I could do it over, I would have definitely not clowned around so much in school. And there's a couple of court cases. I, 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 I wouldn't, I, I wish I didn't have to be part of. <laughs> yeah, we all had you know, those. That was stupid decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, I would, I don't know. I would, I don't know, man. I don't know. There's, there's, that, that's, that's a, that's a good question. I never thought of that. I'm not a rearview mirror guy, though. You know I know I mean? you're not. So like, I mean, I it's odd not. because you, you, you are in my act. I talk about the past, but I don't live it. Like, I, I just put it behind me. Like, even the divorce, whatever it may be, I'm just like, it's, it is what it is. You got to keep going. Yeah, I was really yeah, sorry to hear about happens. that. Um, that's a good yeah. question, though. Next for you is Cobra Kai season four. And I'm also working on an, another show now. I'm supposed to be because of this COVID thing. Um, it was uh, Tacoma. That's uh, the Broken Lizard guys. You know, the yeah. guys that did the troopers. So I'm working on that show now too. Good for you, man. Good yeah. for you. So you got Principal's Office uh, on YouTube, Cobra Kai on Netflix. You're doing your thing, Brett. I, got, I just shot another special a year ago, right before COVID. And we're shopping that now, but Burr is attached to that. He he's helping me with that. Oh, okay. And all things comedy as well. So, Brett, thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. It's good uh, catching up with you. I'm glad you're healing up. You're feeling better. And I can't wait to see you, man. Well, dude, listen, I'm I'm here in Vegas. I got I got a nice. I just bought a nice condo here, so I got I got the extra room. Things are open. Restaurants are good. We go to the Italian American club. We sit down like gentlemen. <laughs> we break bread nice. Enjoy ourselves. We pick for the table. We pick for just get like ten on things. the mezzanine floor. <laughs> <laughs> My friend, I miss you, pal. Love you, bro. I miss you too, man. Good luck with everything, and uh, we'll talk soon. You got it, brother. All right, my friend. Be well. Bye. Made me do for love what I would not do. Made me do for love what I would not do. Make me do for love what I would not do. Make me do.